Hello and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and explores how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name's Adrian Louis, GCU's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Advisor, and today's podcast is focusing on racism, language and self-identity. Joining me today is Talim Boutaleb, Head of Department of Electrical and Electronic Engineering and Chair of the Tackling Racism at GCU Group, Tabitha Enoriki, Race Equality Charter Project Officer, and Davina Rankin, who's Vice Chair of GCU's Race Equality Charter Self-Assessment Team. This conversation is taking place during Black History Month um, and is part of our university-wide commitment to tackling racism. So I just wanted to start off to lean, if you could set the context for us and tell us a bit more about why GCU is prioritising the work on tackling racism. Thank you so much, Adrian, and thanks for having me here. Well, we we started really back in, in 2019 and uh, the, the initial idea was to get a set of recommendations um, to the university executive board um, in order really to tackle certain areas of concern. For example, we were looking at the students' attainment gap. Uh, We were looking at curriculum development for the students. But also we had a number of areas that we also wanted to look at, communications, for example, for staff and students, any training. So one of the things that as we started looking into this work, and once we had the recommendations really kind of approved by uh, the executive board was uh, language. You know, one of the things that um, that is highlighted e- even via training, what would be the, the best, for example, a- acronyms? Are, are we using the right acronyms? Are some people nervous on using certain um, language? you know, worried that they might offend people. So it was really a part of a quite a, a, an extensive work that the Tackling Racism group was looking at, as I've mentioned, uh, numerous areas in there, but part of the training would be on the language and then part of, uh, as I've mentioned, some nervousness, for example, uh, from staff and students around the university was the, the language to use. Thanks, Talene. So very much evidence-based and driven by feedback and comments from from staff and and so on. So that's really important to be responsive um, to that. I've mentioned that this conversation is taking place during Black History Month. Tabitha, could you just throw a light on why the university should be celebrating Black History Month? Why is Black History Month an important landmark for us to recognise? No, definitely. I think Black History Month is very, very important for an institution, any institution really, to celebrate because it's a time to reflect. It's a time to celebrate and learn about the Black history and also um, to think about what Black culture we have within our organisation, you know, what Black excellence and our members of staff and students are doing. And it's also just a pause to sort of remember how far we've come and what has been achieved but also to remember how much work is still left to be done. So it's very, very important when organisations sit back and use this month to do that. Thanks, Tabitha. Yeah, I think it's really important that we 
reflect sometimes we're so busy with our working lives that we don't appreciate and take a step back our, our own achievements but yeah people throughout history um, and certainly this is you know helping uh, as part of that reflection so this podcast focuses on the specific topics around racism language and self-identity Talene you you obviously have explained why um that need is is important and where that driver has come from. Davina, if I could turn to you in terms of setting the context for the for the debate and discussion this afternoon around language. So just to pick up on, on the point of the use of black, I mean it's it's something that's um, used very widely, but people possibly don't appreciate the story behind it. So could you tell us a bit more about the difference between the the different uses of black so there might be a political use or a, a descriptive use of black as a as a as a language uh, mechanism so why is that important to to differentiate black with a capital b makes a a, a political statement is about bringing everyone together who have got a shared history of colonial oppression so it's not a descriptive term it's not about the color of someone's skin it's about the historical roots where they've come from and by coming together under a single umbrella of black, we unite to fight you know, the structural and systemic racism that still exists today in societies around the world. So it's really important people recognise capital B black as a unifying term. It's not a descriptive term. And I think part of it's a response to how racists use the language. And quite often they will use it to divide groups of people up. You know, this group's better than that group. And it's not that way. It's about bringing everyone together to fight together. And um, I think there's a really important statement and it's about unifying and uniting under a common cause, which is to fight racism, whether that's racist in the streets or our institutional racism that we face in different areas within life in the UK today. Thank you for that. I think um, it gives a really important insight. What what would you be your, your advice in terms of working with you know, colleagues or students that, that don't necessarily understand that and will, you know, be adamant that black doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't carry the meaning that you've explained. So, you know, they're, they're very much putting their own judgment on it. So how, how would we deal with conversations like that where people are being slightly difficult or, or hesitant in, in accepting that? I think it is a challenging term to accept, but I think the point is ask question have a discussion and you can have that supportive discussion about what it means in reality and actually I think we should also recognise that it means different things in different countries so I'm talking about black within a UK context which has different meanings within a US context or an African context so it's very much about the context of what you're discussing and it will mean different things to different people so for example in America people of colour is a phrase that's now coming to the front to try and unify sort of black communities across states. But people of colour has a totally different meaning in the UK. And actually, if you went into South Africa, it would mean something completely different altogether. So it's about the context and actually just taking the time to have the discussions. And if somebody came up to me and asked me politely, why did I use the term black? Or what does black mean with a capital B? I'm more than happy to sit down and have that discussion. It's about respecting everyone's views and actually just having a a very polite and basic conversation I will never I would never take offense at somebody asking me why I use that term 
I just wanted to explore the, the global context in a bit more detail. Now, I know, Talleen and Tabitha, you, you have experience from different roles that you've held in terms of international contexts and in working with international students. So, Talene, if I could turn to you first, how, how does this debate differ across different cultural contexts in, in the work that you've done in the past when, when working across different um, sort of national and cultural boundaries? Totally, really, just to continue from what Davina or just really em emphasize what Davina uh, just mentioned, it does it does really matter where you're mentioning certain terms or you're using certain language. So definitely we again what Davina mentioned ac across the globe when we're we were engaging, for example, with the students, one of the main things were to look at this inter cultural kind of competency and uh, and uh, again sorry to, to say Davina's uh, what mentioned is really really important and that is one of the things is don't be afraid to ask questions so if there are certain students and the staff and that they're uh, they're not really sure that's what they're used to um, for example um, let's say I, I come from North Africa you know from Arab region we use different terminologies and um, don't be scared if it is the case that you're asking the questions and again being polite and respectful to, to others is one of the things I would say is really educate yourself as well as much as possible go and, and read and educate yourself be respectful in how you ask the, the questions yeah. so yeah I mean um, definitely uh, there, there are differences and you, you know students themselves will experience them and the more that they are exposed to so many different cultures uh, they will definitely you know un understand a little bit more I would say yeah, and I, I think um, just to draw on, on the example that, that Davina gave about people of colour coming, um, sort of being imported, so to speak, from, from the United States, there's a similar example from my own experience where, you know, my, my daughter will use the term Asians to describe people from a Chinese ethnic background. So she'll use that to sort of self-identify or identify other, other people who might look Chinese, for example, whereas in the UK context and having been born, born and brought up in the UK, my use of Asian would be very different. It would be more the South Asian label that, that I would assign it to. So it's interesting how language has evolved and we import it and we use it from, you know, different influencers, whether that's through watching, you know, I was going to say movies, that's an American term, films, cinema, or in general discourse with with friends and peers so so yeah i i completely um understand where 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 you're both coming from tabitha i'd like to bring you in now um so having been um in different roles you've been an international student you've been a, a full-time student officer as well um and now you're working for the university what's your take on um what's been said already particularly around how language might be used differently um with, with different communities and different different generations, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'll start with an example of how, as a student officer, I learned the importance of language um, in terms of the context of racism and, 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 and whatever that entails. And uh, when I became a student officer, though we had the Black Ethnic Minority and Ethnic Group, which is a student group within the Students Association. And uh, when I began my role, there was no membership in the group. And there was discussion on maybe the reason why is because 
people don't identify with the word BAME. And true to the word, it was changed to the Ethnic Diversity Network, which in itself is not a perfect term, but much better than BAME. And we actually saw an increase in membership because students now kind of felt that they belonged somewhere and they didn't feel like BAME worked for them. And that small change in language increased membership, increased participation, and made students feel like they belong. So it just shows the importance of how one word could change and it actually makes people feel like they belong better or they can actually speak up and, and talk about their rights in, in this space that reflects them and not what modern society thinks should be a space that gives them all that they've been given. But just going back into the conversation of Black and, and, and talking about how you know, capital B is very important. So I came after I come from East Africa. So I didn't realize that I was black until I came to the UK because everyone's black where I'm from. So you don't really see the color of your skin. But then you come to um, a country where you then become an ethnic minority and you and you start to realize how important it is for your ethnicity to be respected and to be seen. And just, you know, when I reflect back and I look at such certain racial and ethnic identifiers like Latino and Asian American or Native American, they're all capitalized, but then you'd find that B is not capitalized for, for Black. So again, to agree with Davina, I think it's very, very important to have that capital B when you're speaking about Black people. Thank you for sharing your, your own experiences. I think it's really important that we are responsive. You know, you gave the example about the student group and um, yeah, language can be very powerful in, in making people feel included. Um, and I guess the opposite end of the spectrum is that it can be used to be divisive and, um, you know, cause harm. And that's something I wanted to pick up because Davina mentioned uh, earlier the, the use of language, you know, in a, in, a, in a racist context. So I just wanted to explore, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how, you know, labels and umbrella terms can be helpful or, or, or not and how they've evolved. But just to reflect the unfortunate situation still today you know in 2022 where racism still exists in in many different forms and racist language still exists um, whether it's in in the world of sport or the world of entertainment or other aspects of of, of life so back to Davina um, to start off with but I'm, I'm keen to hear from Talene and Tabitha's perspective as well historically how has language and racist language been used to divide people and why is it still an issue today why hasn't this gone away i mean if you look at um employment for example there were often color bars in important industries that meant for a long time and it's, it's i must admit i'm one of these geeks that like to read up in their history but you know there are some major police forces around the world that didn't get their first black officer until the 60s, you know, the 1960s. We're not even talking about the 1860s, the 1960s. So language and colour bars kept people out of the workforce, which means today, the legacy of that today is there is an underrepresentation of black people in senior positions in different industries because they were excluded from that industry. If you look at housing, for example, we know black communities tend to be congregate in poorer areas that have got worse housing, therefore has an impact on health, which has therefore an impact on their well-being and their ability to learn and progress. If we look at research and health, we know specifically there was not, 
you know, on until recently, you can conduct a, a medical research trial and not have black people represented in that trial. So therefore, you never knew the outcome of those drugs or procedures on black people. But on the flip side of that as well, we know there's a lot of racist myths that still capture around the health surface. So, for example, black people don't feel pain, which means even today in the NHS, they are under-prescribed pain medication. We know that the, the books that are used to teach future doctors have a distinct lack of black representation in images. So you might get taught how to spot, for example, chicken pox in a white child, but it would resent differently in a black child, and that's not taught. So that's a bit of a long-winded explanation that actually the historical racism in the UK, even as far back as the 60s or as recent as the 60s, has got an ongoing impact on black people today. And that's why um, language is important because it was all blacks are over there. We don't have to worry about that. They're not important. And that's how it was felt at the time. They were excluded. We're not going to do research. We're not going to mainstream their issues. So a lot of work now has to be done to roll back those underlying historical injustices, which are still playing out today throughout our health, our education, our police, our industry, our commerce, it is literally throughout every thread of society that the language that was used to exclude black people now has an impact today. And that's why it's really important. It's about ownership of that language now. You can use that to keep me out of places. I'm using it now to kick in the door as a black person and advancing their rights. And that's yeah. why we always have to be mindful of our history. Because what has happened to us previously will always impact on us today until we challenge it. It's learning from that and using that to yeah to inform and and yeah provide a way forward um shall we say so that that's sorry did you want to come in to lean sorry adrian but it's just really a follow-up from what davina's mentioning especially on the um excluding people and exclusion side even you know in in the area um, of technology and, and engineering even if you look at technology because there are still until now majority would be white that they are designing certain technologies i mean you, i'm sure you're all aware with regards to the image recognition voice recognition for example so it really extends the the, the damage that davina's mentioning extends really until now and and to to many areas so it's just like we really need to be not only aware of this but also do something about it um and especially as i said again from from uh, my area in technology and engineering thank you Tilly. you you actually read my mind because i was going to ask um about how we relate what what davina described you know globally and historically how do we relate that to university life um and you know as as in practical terms, like in the classroom or in the subjects that we're studying and, and the things that we're teaching students, the things that they'll be inventing in future. So that that's a really um, relevant answer to, to, you know, contextualizing it within GCU. Tabitha, would you like to add any um, further perspective in terms of other subject areas? You know, you have been a student more recently um, than I have, for example, um, but you've also represented and, and worked with students in terms of the student voice. So any perspective in terms of racism and, and language used and, and what, what we could learn from that? I think just speaking back from what Tulin said, it's 
the importance of decolonizing or rather having an anti-racist curriculum that speaks for, for every different student in the room and all different cultures in the world if possible. And just ensuring that language that is used in a space where you're educating people is language that is true and fair to all. Because I think as a student and having been a student quite recently, as you've mentioned, you'd go into some classes and think this doesn't suit my culture, this doesn't suit my, my different views I have or my ethnicity. And when you're writing a piece of assignment, you might think, how does my culture fit into this assignment? How would I translate what I'm learning if I do go back home to my culture? Because I'm learning to work in a culture that's not necessarily mine. And so it's very, very important to ensure that when particularly you're educating these young minds, that you choose language that is able to be adapted in whatever environment. Because we are a global nation where you can be working in the UK, living in the UK, but you're working in Asia or Africa because we've become a very hybrid society. So you'd want people to be able to translate that into any society without bias. And we are, yeah, we, we are a, a diverse society and we're, a, yeah, we're a global society in that, in that context. So just, just on that point, and we, we've talked about how language has evolved, is it ever possible, you know, this, this discussion is about language and, and racism and self-identity. Is it ever possible to come to a consensus where we've got a shared understanding and a shared use of appropriate language, non-racist language, because we've got this diversity, you know, we, we maybe alluded to it earlier. Um, so Davina, back to you as, as a starting point. Can we ever reach a consensus on this very challenging topic? Um, I'm going to say no, <laughs> which is probably not the most helpful answer. I don't think we can re reach a consensus on the language to use, but we can reach a consensus on how to develop an approach to adopting a pr uh, appropriate language. So it's not about saying, so today the like, a language might be X. I promise you in a month's time that will change. In a year's time, it will definitely change. So it's constantly evolving, so we will never have that consensus. And the diversity of the university changes every year. Our student body changes every year. We receive students from different parts of the world. So there's always going to be that constant change. But what we can agree on is a, respect, you know, a respectful, polite, dignified approach to the discussion and come to a consensus about how can we agree the language that is appropriate to use right now and how we keep that under review to make it appropriate to use tomorrow or next year. So that short answer is no, but we can do it better. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned our, our, our population, our demographic is changing all the time. And I guess uh, accompanying that is, is naturally a change in language, a change in attitudes, a, a change in values. So yeah, we, we will keep evolving. So language on its own doesn't evolve in isolation it's because the people and the communities um change with with time i just wanted to um get tabitha's view on um a kind of call to action so given the the different you know advice and, and tips that we've we've heard so far during the course of this podcast what can our listeners do what can gcu staff and students do in practice to continue this conversation and find out more about racism, language and self-identity? I think the first and most important thing is educating yourself or themselves. So taking a deliberate time to actually sit down and read about different views 
And there's so much out there in terms of resources. And I do know that the GCU library has a lot of resources on anti-racism. So that's a good place to start in terms of educating yourself in all things tackling racism. But on top of that, there's so many initiatives happening around the campus. So for both staff and students that you can plug into. So for example, for, there's the Race Equality Charter, which is um, up and running, that you can be involved in. There's a tackling racism group that's been running for a couple of years. So you can be a member and uh, input into that group that way. For students, there's the Ethnic Diversity Network, there's the full-time officers, there's Student Voice, and there's many avenues that you could use in order to put your voice out there and be able to contribute to the work that's going around in terms of the GCU community. So get, to, get yourself involved, if I would say, and it could be as easy as attending an event or joining a committee, but just get yourself going and, and join something. Thank you, Tabitha. Some really helpful tips there in terms of getting involved. Talene, I'm going to turn to you and give you the last word, so to speak, because you kindly kicked us off and, and gave us the, the background to, to this whole tackling racism agenda. So where, where do we see it going next? How, how will the university evolve its work more broadly in, in this space? I think really initially is the training. So expanding that training to staff and students, I think is really important. So although I totally agree with Davina with regards to we will not come to um, you know agreement on language terms and so on that we would use. But still, if we're looking within GCU context, then we do have our guide on, on the language use. So I would um, definitely recommend that staff and students are familiar with that and they really ad adhere to, to this, um, as I said, you know, within the GCU context. But I'm, I'm really optimistic, you know, we've done a lot. I think that the GCU staff and students done a lot of work over the last um, couple of years. And now, as um, Tabitha mentioned, you know, with, with the uh, Race Equality Charter, I think there will be a lot more work to come and a lot of more action, um, you know, and um, I'm really, really uh, optimistic with uh, the support from staff and students, you know, a lot of the staff to on when the anti-racist curriculum work started um, they're looking into their own modules um, they see you know how what can they do um, in there in order for, for them to to address issues and and make sure that the students feel that they are belonging you know to uh, the classroom and belong in, in within GCU as total so yeah I'm definitely thinking like between the work that we have done and hopefully the work coming that we will get to much better place I'm hoping. Thank you and that's such a positive note to end on so clearly um, lots of progress lots of work to do but hopeful for a, a positive future so thank you Talene for um, coming along today and, and sharing your views thank you Tabitha and thank you Davina also, um, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you can join us next time when we'll be in conversation with more people from the GCU community. The views expressed in the Common Good podcast are those of the participants and don't necessarily represent the views of Glasgow Caledonian University. Please subscribe to this podcast. You can get every episode sent straight to your listening device by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else. So until next time, I've been Adrian Louis and this has been the Common Good Podcast. <laughs>